Welcome to the Days of Favour Teaching Day podcast from Kingdom Faith Yorkshire. Okay, are we all ready? This session's going to be uh, quite a personal session. It's going to be looking at how we can be those prophetic people. We can live that prophetic lifestyle so that we can be that community in a community. This afternoon, we'll look a little bit more about what that looks like within our community and what it looks like out in the wider community. Uh, So there's going to be quite a bit of personal reflection in this. I know some people process things quite fast and some people process things quite slowly. I'm quite... I'm quite relaxed about this session in that if we don't get through it all, I'll move some of it into this afternoon because I'm doing the first session after lunch so we can have a break. But I won't give lots of time for reflection. So don't get too frustrated if you feel like I'm moving on. Just write the questions down and come back to them later. They're not things that we need to do here and now, but it just breaks it up a little bit. So what I'm going to look at is five characteristics of a prophetic people. And hopefully this will help look at, as we come to look this afternoon a bit more at the community and as we look at the prophetic and missional imagination and dare to dream, actually what that means for us and how we are growing in that will help bring some context for our lives in that. Within these five characteristics, overarching all of it is obviously what we've been talking about all week at Days of Favour, being a people who are devoted to Jesus, with our eyes fixed on Jesus, those that are devoted to the word, those that are committed to prayer. Those are are overarching, all of them, and will probably come out in some of these, but just so you don't think, oh, those are very fundamental things and they're missing, but they're the things that really are over the whole thing. PowerPoint crashed just before this session, so... The screens that I had deleted are back again. It's all good. Right. So we're going to look at being a people who look forward, being a people who are committed to community. And Pastor Paul started looking at that in the last session. So we're just going to look a little bit more about what it looks like to be people that are committed to community. A people who have and carry vision. Again, we've started to look a little bit at vision and what that, uh, that looks like. So just a few more bits on that. A people who walk in holiness. That's something that's really come out this week, isn't it? And a people with a simple and childlike faith. And we'll look at what that means. I'm going to go through them all. I'm going to go through them all now. So, so you'll be okay. Okay. A people who are facing forward. Okay, so on here, Proverbs 4.25, which tells us to fix our eyes forward. And we need to be people that are looking straight ahead, that are fixing our eyes facing forward. And Jesus had something quite strong to say about that in Luke 9. He said, Jesus told, told him this is in the context of um, not looking back and the man that wanted to Go and bury, it said, let me go and bury the dead, my dead, etc. Anyone who puts a hand to the plough and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Anyone who puts a hand to the plough and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. So it's quite a strong thing, isn't it, that we need to be people that do look forward and that don't look back. And um, 
Andy Elms at Faith Camp gave a really great illustration of this, which I'm stealing, um, in his leadership session. He was talking about it in the context of leadership, but it actually applies for all of us in the whole way that we approach life. And he was talking about how when he books a seat on a train, he always, and he didn't really understand why, but he always wants to book the seat that's facing the direction that you're going and doesn't like having a seat that is facing backwards. Uh, Probably a lot of us are like that. Um, And and so he was talking a little bit about why that's important, about being forward-facing. And when when you're facing forward, you can see what's coming, can't you? When you're facing, you're sitting with your back to the direction you're going in, all you can see is what's gone, what has already gone past. And then... The thing with that is that what happens is situations arise, situations come, and all that you can do is respond to what's it, it's coming, it's past you, it's hit you. Now I've got to react, I've got to respond, I've got to deal with this situation. Whereas when you're facing forwards, you can see what's coming and you can anticipate what's coming and you can prepare for what's coming. And so we need to be a people that are determined to face forward and not to sit on the train uh, with our backs as a direction, because we don't want to uh, just be able to react to situations as they arise. And Philippians 3, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago at the baptisms, didn't we? Philippians 3, 12 to 14, in the Passion, it expresses it really well. And Paul says, I admit I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing. But I run with passion into his abundance so that I may reach the purpose that Jesus Christ has called me to fulfill and wants me to discover. I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, and this is the bit I love, I do have one compelling focus. I forget all of the past as I fasten my heart to the future instead. I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. So to forget the past and fasten our hearts to the future. It's a really lovely phrase, isn't it? And we talked on that Sunday about uh, John Landy and Roger Bannister and how John Landy lost that race because he took that one moment to glance behind him. And it will always slow us down when we look at the past. And it's often why people get stuck in things. And so you might be really wanting to move forward, but we always get stuck when we turn around. We always slow down when we turn around and start looking at what is behind us. And it means that we can't be fully equipped for what God has for us. It might not even be bad things. It might be past successes. It might be great things that we've been part of in the past. It might be not good memories, but it might also be our failures, um, the sort of would have, could have, should have kind of things. Any of those things mean that we end up with our back facing the direction that we're supposed to be going. And so when something comes at us, it compounds the problem because we're not ready for it. So we're reacting again to the problem that we're trying to conquer in the first place, but we're not prepared for it. So if we're looking forward... What does, what does that look like? What is before us? In Proverbs 4, 25, it talks about looking at what is before us. So who is before us? Who's in front of us? Jesus. Jesus. Okay, so Jesus is never behind us. 
He's never standing. You know, he's not behind us. He's in front of us. He's calling us forward. And when we can see him, then we've got our eyes fastened on the future. And the other thing that we can do is that we can see what's coming up. So we can see what's happening. We can be asking God. I'm facing forward. God, what is, is it that's coming up? What do you need me to see? Being prophetic is about seeing. And we need to be willing and asking God, what is it that you want me to see? There have been a, a couple of situations, just a couple in the last 18 months or so, where God showed me something before it's happened. And what that's meant is that I've been able to prepare my heart and prepare my response because I knew what was coming. And when we know what's coming, we can prepare our responses. We can pre- prepare our hearts. We won't always know everything. Some things are just going to come and hit us bang on. But we can have be a people and we can have a culture and a determination that I'm not going to be looking back because you can't look forward and back at the same time. If anyone wants to try it, but we're not, we haven't got eyes on both sides of our head. You can't do both at the same time. So we've got to choose whether we look forward or whether we look behind. But if we're looking at what God is saying, we can actually start to prepare our hearts and start to prepare our responses. And that means that when we are seeing what God is doing in the community and we're asking him, it means we can see clearer. It means that we can make that even greater impact because we know what he's doing. What's God saying for our town? What does God want to show us for the town that's coming up so that we can pray, so that we can prepare our hearts? Sometimes God shows us things so we can pray and change the direction of something, of course, and we see lots of examples in scripture of that. But there are always people that are facing forward, asking God, what are you doing? What are you showing? So, you first just, just a couple of minutes, just take two minutes just to think about these questions. So what do you need to stop looking back at? It might be a good thing, it might be a bad thing, it might not be anything, because you might be really well focused forward, and that's always encouraging, isn't it? But what do you need to stop looking back at? And what does looking forward mean for you? What, do you, what might you have to do in order to be looking forward more effectively? <coughs> okay, you'll get, obviously you can take these questions away and think about them. They're just to provoke our thinking. Okay, so the second thing is a people who are committed to community. They're nice penguins. They're definitely committed to community. Um, So community is a vital part of being prophetic people, of walking into that prophetic and missional imagination. And we've covered some of that in the first session. And God, we know God is so committed to community right from the fact that he is community in creation, the early church was birthed in community. We see an amazing example of it in Acts. And there is no such thing as a lone believer. There's no such thing. We know that, don't we? There is no such thing as somebody that's going it alone. And nowhere in scripture does it advocate that. And we could have, this is all about breaking that myth of the individual. And we need we need to do that. It's so hard in our culture, isn't it? Because we've lost so much of that. And you know, I was thinking even maybe 70, 80 years ago, maybe less than that, there was so much more 
set of a sense of community in this nation. It's such a modern phenomenon. And we're, we're an individualistic culture, so we can't get away from that. That is what we live in. So it's a real kind of shift against the tide in order to live and embrace what community actually means. Uh, other cultures, biblical culture, many other cultures are very collectivist cultures. So they're about community and that is intrinsic. And this is, this is really interesting about the Japanese culture. And this is from the book The Samurai, which uh, is novelist Shusasuku Shusasku Endo. Um, is looking at some of the cross-cultural challenges that made the Japanese quite slow to adapt to the Christian faith. And it's a fictional story, but it's based in reality in Japan. And this really highlights how different our, our concept of what it means to be a believer is. So Father Valent, Valent, Valent I don't know, explains, the Japanese never live their lives as individuals. We European missionaries were not aware of that fact. Suppose we have a single Japanese here. We try to convert him, but there was never a single individual we could call him in Japan. He has a village behind him, a family, and more. There are also his dead parents and ancestors. That village, that family, those parents and ancestors are bound to him tightly as though they were living beings. That is why he's not an isolated human being. He's an aggregate who must first must shoulder the burden of village, family, parents, ancestors. So when the first missionary to Japan, Francisco Xavier, began his labours, it was the most formidable obstacle he encountered. The Japanese said, I believe the Christian teachings are good, but I would be betraying my ancestors if I went to a paradise where they cannot dwell. Isn't that amazing that they couldn't embrace the gospel because... It either had to be everybody or nobody, because they didn't think about me and my salvation. They thought about, I, I can't go to heaven if they're not all there. And my ancestors are dead and not in heaven, so I can't embrace it because I have to go and be in the same place as they are. Such a sense of, of being bound together. And it, it's completely against everything that we we know, isn't it? We don't have that concept of being so bound together. And there are obviously pros and cons with an individualist and a collective culture, neither have got it all perfect, have they? But we see it in Acts, 13, Acts 16 as well, um, with the jailer, when Paul and Silas were worshipping and the chains were broken, they were set free. The jailer said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says to him, believe in the Lord Jesus, you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord, etc. And immediately he and all his household were baptised. His wife and children weren't in the prison. They didn't experience the power of God at that moment. They didn't see what happened. They didn't have Paul talk, giving the gospel to them. And yet, as a whole household, they came to Christ because one was. Very different concept. And that's what we're praying for, isn't it? For whole households. But... We want that whole households because they're coming as households, not as three or four or five individuals. It'd be great to have that. We're coming because we're committed as a household. What about us and our families, even just at that level? Do we see ourselves connected just at our family level as being so bound together that if one does it, then why wouldn't the other 
kind of outside of my mindset to some extent. But it makes very much, it makes a lot of sense. In collectivist culture, this whole community thing is very, is very easy for them. In John 15, 12 and 13, we have the ultimate expression of community. And this we can't get away from because this is Jesus' direct commandment to us. And he says it is his command. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. We'll think about that in a minute. But how much, in terms of us being community, have we got to the point where we could say, I'll lay down my life for my friends? It doesn't say family there. It's not that you lay down your life for your family. Will you lay down your life for the people that you're in community with? It's very challenging. And community, community means that acknowledgement that we're interdependent as well and that we're dependent on each other and others are dependent on us. And growing that sense of being, having that interdependence. Even Jesus didn't go it alone. Even Jesus wasn't, in, it wasn't independent. He could have been, but he chose. He had a team of people around him that provided for him financially. He didn't just go on his own and sort it all out himself. He, had, he was dependent on other people to have somewhere to stay. He was dependent on other people for money a lot of the time. He was dependent on people to provide for him. What vulnerability that the God of heaven would come and that he would live his life dependent on the generosity and the community of other people. It was a good thing he came then and not now, really. Um, <laughs> although if he'd come now and into much of Middle Eastern culture, it would have been quite similar. And even at the cross, or just before the cross, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he needed his friends to pray. He, couldn't, he didn't feel like he could get through it without his friends. He had to because they went to sleep. But he couldn't, he, everything in him, his emotions were so, so wrought that he wanted his friends. He, community was so important. He was dependent on other people. So if he had to live in interdependence, then how much more do we, do, do we need to? So we need to be those that can reach out to others, but also can reach out to others and say, I need help. Because if we live independently, we're going against the concept of community, and we'll never be able to truly walk into what Pastor Paul was talking about in that first session because we need to be living, living in community. Greatest leader that ever lived couldn't do it alone. So there is no point at which we, we can do that, is there? Bye-bye, penguins. Okay, a couple of questions to think about. <laughs> So hopefully, you, you guys are all here, but it's still a good question to ask. Yesterday uh, morning in the sort of 8 o'clock worship time that moved on to the 9 o'clock time, um, Kate was, was talking about stuff being dredged up and stuff that you don't know is there and, then, and God reveals it. So we can look at that first question. How committed are you to the community God has placed you in? And all of us here, looking around the room, can say... Yes, I'm really, really committed. Write the question down and just think for a couple of minutes if there's anything. How committed in God's terms are we? Um, and is there anything that he wants to show us? What do we do that demonstrates that, that commitment? Or what do we need to do that demonstrates that commitment? 
It's just getting us to think about a bit more about the things that seem obvious and seem, yes, I'm here, I, I serve, I'm, I've got lots of friends, I, I help people, I'm committed to this community. Is there anything more that God wants to do? Is there another level that God wants to take us to in that place of how to be community with each other? So a couple of minutes just to think about those questions. Okay, so prophetic people are people who have vision, who don't just have vision, but also carry vision with them. If we're going to have that prophetic imagination to see what God is doing, we need to be carriers of that vision. There's no point in seeing it and doing nothing with it. We need to carry that vision and then do something with that vision. Proverbs 29:18. most of you will know this scripture. Um, where there is no prophetic vision, people cast off restraint. In the message, I like this in the message, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. That's so true, isn't it? If God can't see what people are doing, they stumble all over themselves. Now, we're people of vision. We are people of vision. We're people that are growing in vision and because there's always a new place to go to, but we are people in, of vision. Um, that's been, the church has been birthed in vision. It's been birthed in, the, in dare to dream and the ability to see that. And it's something that we've caught hold of very much. And in uh, Pastor Paul's session this afternoon, we'll see how, how well, actually, that's something that certainly the people that he researched really have caught that, caught that prophetic vision. But we live in a town of deprivation. We live, live in a place where we can say many people have cast off restraints. So Why? Part of it is because they don't have a vision, which is why we need to be carriers of vision, which is why we need to be people that have vision so we can carry it. Because we can't expect a community who have cast off restraint because they don't have vision. We can't expect them to have vision. Um, they're not going to have vision of, of Jesus because they're not born again. And many of them, particularly those ones that we would say are ones that maybe have cast off restraint, don't have vision for their own future. So we need to be people that will impart and carry vision and give that to people. Part of vision is hope, isn't it? And to be hope bringers and hope carriers. So we're a people of vision and we're a people of vision and we, we see Jesus, we see what he's doing, we see who he is and we've got our eyes focused on him. But for some, some of us, maybe at different times in our lives, we may not always have that vision in front of us of what God is doing. And at the moment, just in this part of this session, I'm talking about our lives personally and our life as a church corporately. So just setting aside the bigger vision of the community for the moment. We can, if we don't have that vision of what God's doing next in our lives, if we're not looking ahead at it, it can be easy for us to maybe not cast off restraint, but we can get stuck because we can just not know how to move forward. We don't move forward because we don't have that vision. And some of that, and we, we've been talking about that this in uh, one or two of the prayer meetings this week, is that we need something in front of us that reminds us of the promises that God has given us. Uh, back to that, that promised 
that one of the things that God has told us to keep taking hold of is the promises. And we're likely to lose our passion if we don't have it. So this week, God has done something in us. But if we don't set the things that he's done in us in front of us, then we will lose the passion for those things. It's a bit like a kettle. The urn's boiling. Wonderfully on time there. Um, That urn, straight in there, that urn needs to keep being put on the boil. Every time it goes down to a certain temperature, it's coming automatically back on to get it back up to the temperature so that you can have a cup of tea when I've finished. And in a, with a kettle, you have to do it manually, don't you? But if that urn just goes off, it's just going to gradually get colder and colder. So we need to be people that are constantly putting the kettle switch down. We're not urns. We don't have an automatic thing that automatically heats us up again. We are more like kettles. We do have to put the switch down to heat ourselves up again. And so that's something we have to do. And you know, the Jewish people knew that well. In Habakkuk, in Habakkuk 2, 1 and 2... Uh, The prophet was told to write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets uh, so a herald may run with it. Again, the message says, God answered, write this, write what you see, write it out in big block letters. I like that. Something big, something that we can see so that it can be read on the run. That's really important, actually. Our lives are so busy. What can you do to put the vision that God's given you? whether that's for yourself, whether it's for the church, whether it is for Scarborough, so that you can see it on the run. We may as well not pretend that our lives are going to change overnight and we're not going to suddenly be these super busy running around people. So in the lives that we have, what can we do? So, yeah, so it can be read on the run. This vision message is a witness pointing to what's coming. It aches for the coming. It can hardly wait. If it seems slow in coming, wait. It's on its way. It will come right on time. But the point is this. We need to keep it in front of us. And back in Numbers, God gave them this odd commandment to wear tassels on their garments. God told Moses, tell them from now on then to make tassels on the corner of their garments and to mark each corner tassel with a blue thread. When you look at these tassels, you'll remember and keep all the commandments of God and not get distracted by everything you feel or see that seduces you into infidelities. The tassels will signal remembrance and observance of all my commandments to live a holy life to God. I am your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt. So they were commanded to wear tassels in a visible place because God knows us. He knows what we're like. He knows if we don't have something to remind us, we will forget. We are not elephants and we do forget. And so we need to find a way of doing that for us for ourselves so have a, you know you can start thinking what works for you Shona's very diligent here in in the prayer we have a prayer journal things are there if you want to know what God is saying Shona can go back and tell you each week for the last I don't know how many years Shona what God has been saying so that's really important can we do that in our own lives if I said to you what did God was God saying to you this time last year could you tell me Some of you could, and some of you couldn't. But you know me, I bang on about journaling all the time, so I'll spare you that for the moment. Oh, it's not safe, my recent version. So I did have a slate here with three definitions of vision. And you'll see with these 
di different dictionary definitions exactly what Pastor Paul was talking about in the last session. So the Oxford Dictionary says, the ability to think about or plan the future with imagination or wisdom. The ability to think about or plan the future with imagination or wisdom. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary says the act or power of imagination. So we've got two out of three there talking about imagination. So this imagination concept is very important if we're going to be people of vision. And the Cambridge Dictionary says an experience in which you see things that do not exist physically. An experience in which you see things that do not exist physically. That's kind of the one I want to focus on because... Uh, we're looking at the imagination in the other sessions. But our imaginations will always be shaped by something. Always. So, as you were saying, Kath, earlier, that the, the fear and the problem with imagination that people can sometimes feel is, is it my own thoughts or is it God's thoughts? But our imaginations will be shaped by something. And they will usually be shaped by what we're looking at the most. So if your focus is on Jesus, if Jesus is what you're looking at, don't worry about what your imagination. Because that's what your imagination is going to feed on. And that's what's going to come out. So don't fear using your imagination. What you see is what you're going to imagine. So think about, have a think about, don't think it's one of the questions. So, you know, if something to think about, write it down. What is your imagination shaped by? What do you dream about? Are you looking at facing forward with imagination to your future? And we'll come back to that other, the other bit from the Oxford uh, definition in a moment. So, but the scripture I want to focus on here is 2 Corinthians 4.18, which I think ties in wonderfully with the last session and thinking about uh, prophetic imagination and what it looks like when God is active in the town through us. And 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So if something is temporary, then it's always subject to change. And that is good news. So we don't want our eyes to be fixed on what's in front of us. We want our eyes to be fixed on the unseen. Otherwise, we're going to be wobbly all the time because what's seen is temporary. It can always change, which is great news because things need to change often. What's in front of us can often be obstacles. But it means what's the point in fixing our eyes on the stuff that's sitting in front of us? It's always subject to change. It's temporary. And we need our eyes to be fixed on what's eternal because that's the only way we're going to see what God is doing because we live in a place that if we look at what's in, in the seen realm, in the natural realm, it could look quite depressing. So we need to see what God is doing as we walk the streets. We need to see what God is doing in our community but it's not seen at the moment. It's in our imaginations. It is in the unseen realm. So we need to see it so that we can then pray and act to bring it into, uh, the, into the seen realm. Because what is unseen? Kingdom, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That is bringing the unseen into the seen realm. So that is our, our purpose out there, is to bring what is unseen into the seen. So as prophetic people... 
we become those that refuse to fix our eyes on what is in front of us in the natural so that we can look at what is, is in the eternal. And so that requires a real commitment to the word because where does our understanding of what's unseen come from? It comes from the word of God. There isn't really anywhere else for it to come from, is there? So we've got to have that deep commitment to the word of God because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So in order to have faith for what is unseen, we've got to do that. And we can, you know, we can go from one to the other. But for me, I, probably over the last year, God's been speaking to me about one particular thing. And on good days on it I'm kind of I can dream I can see the potential I can see all God's can do I can see potential impact I can see opportunities and it's all great and that's really good and I'm looking into the unseen realm that's fabulous on other days I see the potential problems I see the obstacles I see the impossibilities I see all that and in those days I feel completely overwhelmed and I'm just like forget this God I'm going to put my back I'm going to sit on the other bit of the train and then I can't see where I'm going. And so we can just see what pops up. And that's what I want to do because we will always get overwhelmed when we are looking at the seen realm because the answers are never found in the seen realm. The answers are always found in the unseen realm. The answers are never found in man. They might come through man, but they're not found in man. They're not found by looking to other people. So we have to get our eyes back up. But we're all going to do it. So it's just a reminder to us that every time we're doing it again, oh, no wonder I feel overwhelmed. I'm looking at what's in front of me, and I need to be a person of imagination. But I love that bit in the definition of the Oxford, the Oxford Dictionary, that a vision is about imagination and wisdom. And wisdom is the legs on imagination. Wisdom is what makes imagination happen. If we just see things and, and don't do anything with them, then we've just seen things. That's all very nice. But wisdom enables us to put those things that we see into practice, to put legs on them, to give us the wisdom to know how what, what we do with that. So wisdom is part of vision, which I'd never really thought about before. But wisdom is an intrinsic part of of imagination, not of imagination, of vision. So scripture tells us to search for wisdom, seek it out, seek it out because it's a treasure, because it's so important. And it really is because wisdom is what makes the vision happen and makes that is, that's in your imagination actually happen. And we need to then carry that out. We'll maybe look at that a little bit more this afternoon. But we need to be able to see it so that we can carry that vision to people that have no vision. But if you don't have vision, you're not going to be somebody that can impart vision to other people. You're not going to be able to carry what you don't have. And for some, some of us, it might be that vision's got a bit clouded and God just wants to lift off. He wants to clean your glasses this morning so that you can see again and that you can see clearly because otherwise it just feels like a, a fog in front of us, doesn't it? Okay, so what is in front of you just now that is, is so easy to fix your eyes on 
but is subject to change. So what I mean by that is, is there anything in your life at the moment that you're looking at that it's temporary, but you found you've got your eyes fixed on it and that you need to lift your eyes off it? And if so, what does God want you to look at instead? So just take a couple of minutes to think about those. Okay, I think we'll do one more and then the final one we'll move into this afternoon. Okay, so why that picture? This is my favourite picture of Jesus that I've ever found. I love this picture. I think it reflects uh, more of what he's like than most pictures that I've ever seen. Nehemiah 8.10 says, Then he said to them, Go your way. Eat the fat and drink the sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I love this picture because it represents holiness in an unexpected way. Jesus was the most holy person that has ever walked the earth. Yes, in terms of we're all holy, but in terms of walking it out. He was also the most joyful person that ever walked the earth. So holiness and joy must go together. Where's the most joyful place in the universe? It's got to be around the throne of God. You know, that's got to be a really super joyful place, hasn't it? The Father's there, the Son's there, the Holy Spirit's the angel's there. It's got to be the best, most happy place in the entire, you know, of all of creation and, and beyond. But what are they singing day and night all the time at the throne? They're singing, holy, 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 holy. You know, it's not holy, holy. It's not holy in kind of a fear. There's got to be so much joy in it because it's the most joyful place. So when we're thinking about being a holy people, which is something, again, that has come out so much this week, that part of the shift that is coming is about us shifting into being that holy people and walking in that holiness. We have it positionally, but actually walking it out, not just standing in it, but walking it. And so with that holiness, let's make sure that we are also not just the most holy people, but the most joyful people in it. If there's no joy in it, it's probably not holiness. Um, <laughs> I don't know, that was, that was a bit... Oh, that was a bit... You can, you can think through that one. Um, thinking about the other things that we've looked at, it's very difficult to walk in holiness if you're looking behind you. It's very difficult to walk in holiness if you haven't got any vision. You can, but it's probably life's going to be a bit boring. You need that vision or it's going to be difficult. And in theory, we might think it's a lot easier to live a holy life uh, on your own, not in community. And it probably is. Um, Because most of the issues around holiness tend to be to do with other people and relationships. But if we're going to live holy lives, we've got to do it in community. And reading 1 Peter 2, verse 9, uh, says, But you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You're holy nation he's talking here about who who we are and 
and, and Peter here is this reassurance that the Gentiles are now grafted in and they, these, these titles were titles that were given to the Jew, Jewish people as chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, God's special possession. But we are now able to join with them yeah. in having those, those titles. But he didn't write this to individuals. These are all community words. You're a chosen people. You're a holy nation. You're not just... You're not holy individuals it's all community things we have to work all of this out in community and every time when peter peter paul is addressing issues of righteousness and holiness and purity right through all the letters they're nearly all about relationship and community and that's where we work it out and so in order to be that prophetic people we have to have that commitment to holiness and how do we do it back to the same thing we see jesus we look at jesus who do we want to be like we want to be like jesus the more we're looking at him the more we want to be like him and that gives us the ability to walk in that place of holiness being holy is being set apart saying no longer my will but yours it's saying i'm choosing to be set apart from the society that i'm in i'm going to choose i'm going to be in and I'm going to walk among, and I'm going to love, and I'm going to see all that God is doing. I'm going to be part of, but I'm going to be set apart in who I am. And we're going to come back to that a little bit later. And finally with it, it's just about quick repentance. Pastor Paul's talked about this many times. It's about just getting up again and saying, Jesus, I know I've done it again. But I'm getting straight back up this time. I'm not going to take three days this time or three weeks or three months of wallowing. I'm going to get straight back up and I'm going to keep walking the path that you've set in front of me. And that's how we live a holy life. You know, we will do stuff again. But as we stand up again and keep repenting and becoming more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. But if we're looking forward and facing forward, we can also see situations coming that we can then anticipate I'm going to need to do something different as that's coming up rather than going oh I found myself in the same situation again if we're looking forward we can anticipate that and go, right I can make a change so that I'm not in that situation and that's a way of as we're, we're looking forward we can walk in holiness more effectively so just very very briefly or maybe what I'll do actually is just leave these up for a few minutes so do you have a passion for holiness again it's a bit like the last one you're all here most of you have been part of days of favor i think if you didn't you wouldn't still be still be here because we've talked about it quite a lot so i think you will do but again it's back to okay god is there any of that sediment that needs dredging up is there anything that i'm not I don't really have as much passion for holiness as I'd like to think I do. Is there anything he wants to say to us? And what do you need to do in order to develop that passion? Because if we've got a passion for holiness, then it'll happen. It will happen. Okay, so do you have a passion for holiness? What do you need to do in order to develop that passion? Okay, we're going to take a break for lunch and we'll just look at the last one briefly after lunch. 
Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources by Kingdom Faith and for our other audio and video podcasts, please visit kingdomfaith.com forward slash Yorkshire.